I don't really like handling money. Um, I would be what you call a conservative, a fiscal conservative. Uh, I was, for Pete's sake, I was a commercial property underwriter before I went to seminary. So if that doesn't scream uh, conservative when it comes to physical, to money, I don't know what does. Um, I'm also a late adapter when it comes to uh, technology, particularly around money for those that are uh, millennials in the room or Gen Z. Um, I resisted a debit card um, it, for a while. I didn't want a debit card. I liked keeping my checkbook with a little pen and, you know, and a little, little paper there in the little back of the checkbook. Um, and it wasn't until I actually had some surgery in uh, 2004 that unbeknownst to me while I was recovering, my wife got us into online banking. <gasps> 2004. I know that's a long, long time ago, but I was like, what in the world is this? It's something that I now take for granted, but I, I, I don't like money. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like the fact that I can go online and boom, right there, I can see my money right before me. Um, I have a tendency to try to put it out of my head. You can ask Jody, I, I, this money is not my thing. I don't like to spend it. I don't like to talk about it. It's just boom. So, you know, in every marriage, there tends to be a, a spender and a saver. I am the saver. Jody's the spender, and, and together, 30 years, by the grace of God, we've learned to balance each other. But Jesus doesn't shy away from money, does he? He talks about it a good bit. And if you are going to read the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, you're going to come across the fact that Jesus brings up money a great amount. He's As a matter of fact, it's one of the things he talks about the most. Um, it, it, just to give you an example, back in chapter 10 of Mark's Gospel, we have that young man that we call the rich young ruler, uh, though he's not called that in, in Mark's gospel. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, says, I've, I've kept the commandment since my youth. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, sell all your possessions, give to the poor and come follow me. I preached that a few weeks ago. You can go back and look at it if you want. Um, in a couple of chapters, chapter 14, Jesus commends a woman, uh, a, a poor woman, perhaps even of, uh, you know, of a, of a, a dishonorable rep, uh, reputation and dishonorable career. And, and she comes with a very expensive perfume and she breaks the perfume and she anoints Jesus' feet. And she, remember, she, she dries them with her, with her hair. And Jesus commends her because of this extravagant gift. That's not money, but it's an extra, extravagant possession that, that she has chosen to lavishly put upon Jesus' feet. And here in chapter 12, Jesus ends this period of controversy around the, the temple and he's coming to the temple and, and he's beginning to have interactions with all the religious leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. He's engaging with the scribes who are the, the, the lawyers of the, of the day. They, are the, they, are the, they know the Torah, the Old Testament law, backwards and forwards. They are the legal experts and they become very, very important to Judaism, especially after the, the downfall of the temple. They will be what we think of as modern-day rabbis. They're the ones who know the law inside and out. Jesus has all this conflict with him, but he ends this passage of, of, of sort of controversy with the religious leaders as he comes to Jerusalem for his final time, and he, he, he ends the exclamation point with this story of this poor widow and her two copper coins. Jesus 
talks about money. He cares about money. It's not a side note for him. It is front and center. In the second part of the passage that I just read, you have the account of Jesus sitting across from the, 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 the offering box, if you will. Uh, it was called a shofar box. Shofar is normally we think of a, the giant horn that is blown at special occasions in Israel. But they also used it to refer to this, this box, this chest where people would put money. And we're told in the, ancient, in the ancient temple that there were maybe 13 of these shofar chests that were sitting around for people to put offerings into. Think of like a, a tuba or a, a French horn kind of a, a, a kind of a shape that would then go into a, a box. And the idea was that as you put your offering in, remember there's no paper money then, it's all coinage. As you put your money in, it would be really evident how much or how little you were putting in. Because the coins would make lots and lots of sound as they went into the shofar chest. Jesus sits across and whether he can actually see or just hear, he knows the amounts of money that are being put in, the amount of coins that's being put into the offering as people enter into the temple. And he also hears this widow's tiny clinking of two small coins, the very smallest denomination of, of currency in, in, that's available at the time. We would think of it as two pennies, although obviously it'd be worth less than two pennies. Jesus commends this woman, this poor widow, which is important because a, a widow did not have, you know, any kind of pension. There was no system of, of, a widow was kind of at the mercy of the society and she's a poor widow. So whatever resource her husband did have, she doesn't get anything, and there's nothing there, so she's extremely poor. And yet Jesus commends her for the two tiny coins that she throws into the chauffeur chest. Jesus contrasts her with the rich who give out of their abundance, the surplus, what is easy, the, the, the extra they have. But Jesus, he commends her because she gives out of her poverty, out of her lack. As, as a matter of fact, the, the account Mark gives us tells us that, that this, in fact, is the last two bits she has, the last two coins that she has, and she gives it free will offering unto the Lord. Now, we know it's a free will offering because, let's be honest, Two little pennies like she's giving wouldn't have amounted for a temple tax or what she was required to pay. There was, there was no sort of prescribed amount that she would meet by giving two pennies. So it was just a free will offering. It was all she had and she throws it into the shofar chest. Probably used to help defer the cost of the temple sacrifices. Remember that in the temple they would make offerings both morning and evening every day of the year, quite expensive, as well as the temple upkeep, taking care of this incredible temple that Herod had built up uh, for the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Now, I love the fact that we read this 
gospel account of the widow and her two mites. And I imagine it's probably familiar to you if you've been around the church at any length of time or spent any time around Christians. You, you, know, you know a little bit about the widow's mite and her, her extravagant gift that she offers to Jesus. But I love the fact that, that this is read in conjunction with the first part of the passage which is what I purposely skipped over so that I can bring you back there now. Because the first part of the passage is Jesus' condemnation of the scribes. And it's not lost on me that I'm wearing kind of a long, white, flowing robe. And I'm standing in front of you, and some of you call me Father and invite me to your house or whatever. You know, it's like I'm, I'm aware of that. So just, get, just, tell, just take the obvious. But Jesus condemns these scribes, these, these lawyers of the Torah, because of their abuse of their power. But Jesus doesn't withhold the one. He doesn't go to the, young, to the widow and go, don't put, your, don't put your money in there. These guys are corrupt. And by the way, I'm gonna, this temple is going to be destroyed in a couple of years. You know? Save your two pennies. He doesn't do that. Even though he knows the abuses and the corruption, he knows that, that these, these, these scribes walk around and, and for pretense, playing pretend, they make long prayers and sit in the places of honor and they do it all for their own gain. Boy, if there's one thing that the church has criticized over and over again, century after century, it's right, it's, it's self-serving, it's building up wealth. It's, uh, I was at the, our synod last week and and one of the uh, older clergymen, he, he, he reached over and he was, he was showing me Billy Graham's net worth on the day he died. You know, I was like, do you know how many books Billy Graham wrote? I'm sure, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an amazing amount of, 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 of books. But, but this is the constant criticism that, that somehow the, that the church is, is corrupt and it just wants our money. And boy, I wish that wasn't true. But to some extent, in some places, it's been true throughout history and throughout the church. And yet Jesus doesn't stop the widow, but yet commends her for giving. Though there's abuse of power, though, as he says, that these scribes will consume widows' households, even though this temple will be destroyed, this temporal place of worship will be destroyed, chapter 13 will be all about the destruction of the temple and the second coming that Jesus will talk about. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But Jesus continues to commend the widow. We're called to give account and to judge rightly, to make sure that to the extent that we can, that justice is done, that, that, that ministry money goes to ministry and that we are good stewards of all that we've been given. But simply criticism or concern for the institution is not grounds for not giving sacrificially unto the work of ministry. Jesus makes that clear in his commendation to us today. What in the world is Jesus trying to teach us by pointing out this poor widow and her tiny penny offering? Jesus calls us all to be all in. 
It's interesting because you go back to chapter 10 and the rich young ruler and he has great wealth. And what does Jesus say? Sell all your possessions, give to the poor and come and follow me. It's the same calling. Be all in, be united, not be of a divided mind. Give to me all that you are. Be all in with me. Years ago at our summer camp, um, we had a rainy day and um, the kids were, were just going bonkers off the walls. And, and uh, I, I turned to, to Emily and Bill's son, Tebow, and I said, Tebow, do something. And so Tebow, who was one of the most charming guys you've ever met, great voice and plays the piano, got on the piano and began to sing John Legend's song, All of Me. Do you know that song? All of me loves all of you. It's a romantic song. And Tebow did it well. And he's a good-looking guy. And all the little camp girls are like. (laughs) We actually had girls that went home and told their parents that the theme of the camp was all of me. (laughs) The John, I'm like, you know, thanks a lot, Tebow. I mean, you know, I mean, it's not his fault. I told him to do it. But, you know, it's what came out. So. Well, but, but, but it's interesting because that John Legend song, although it's meant to be to his wife, is, is really descriptive of what we're, all of me loves all of you, right? And, and I'm going to give all of myself to you. And that's exactly what is being commended here. When the, when the woman in chapter 14, when she breaks the expensive perfume and she, and she anoints Jesus with it, She's saying, Jesus, you are of such great value that I want to give the most precious thing I have to you. And I want to pour it out for you. Now, it's interesting because, you know, the the rich young ruler is told to sell his possessions and give to the poor. And and this poor woman gives her possessions and and Jesus... There, she's criticized for not giving her to the poor. There's this interesting, but it's, it's not about the, the money. We are to care for the poor. We're to care for the marginalized upon us. But it has to be our, our desire to give all of who we are to the one who gave all for us. Our first and foremost sacrifice has to be unto the Lord now, over in, in the Great Commission in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, the Gentiles run after what they'll eat and what they'll drink and what they'll wear. And, and your father in heaven knows that you need these things. But then he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. First give all of who you are to me. And then all these other things will be given unto you. It's about priority. It's about being united in our allegiance. And money touches so central to our securities or insecurities that Jesus cannot but use it to demonstrate what faith looks like. The Lord will provide. He provides for the the widow in the first Kings passage, right? The, 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 the 
Elijah comes to him. She's about to die. She's going to have her last meal, and then she's going to die with her son. And what is what does God do through Elijah? He, he provides for the oil and the, and, the, and the meal to never run out. It's a cake, but don't think of like a birthday cake. Think of like, it's like, you know, chapati or, or, uh, or one of these uh, African meals that some of us have gotten to, to experience, a thicker kind of a bread. But, but, it's, but first of all, what does he do? He says, but first make me a cake and then prepare one for you and your child. And the oil and the flour will not run out. Well, why does he say, make me a cake first? It's not, it's not about Elijah being selfish. It's about, a de- an, again, it's a demonstration of the faith of the woman to first make a cake for the man of God who represents, the, who represents God's people. And then in response to that, God will then go make your cake. And, and the flour and the, and the oil never run out. The Lord provides I love the fact that, that in these passages we see this equality when it comes to money. It's not about how much or how little. If, if you're poor, what little you have to give, God sees it and he cares. And if you have much and you're giving sacrificially, God sees and he cares. I don't think we're all called to be in poverty, but we're all called to hold on to our, our, our money lightly and be willing to offer it to the Lord sacrificially. I just want to share a, a, a testimony along these lines because I, I think it is so important. It, because it, it, is, it is really hard to think because there's none of us in this room that are at our last two pennies. Although there are people who, who have nothing in our society but 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 we are not in that situation but i i just want to try to to connect the dots a little bit for you and help you understand what what i believe the lord's speaking to us through this passage about the widow and her and her two mites or two tiny bits and i believe it's about learning to sacrifice and to give sacrificially unto the lord's work some of you know that uh, I have three children, and uh, they are two and a half. My son's two and a half years older than his older sister, and then she's 17 months older than her baby sister. They are now all what I call in the safe zone. They are all married, and they're all self-sustaining. Praise be to God. But it weren't not so in 2010. And I know this is maybe not something that you would do, but we made a commitment to, to help our kids through college. And so we look, and by the way, didn't really think about that as we were having them in 92, 94, 96, that they would all kind of go through all these life changes together. So, you know, they go off to college pretty much, you know, like little ducks, and then, and then they've gotten married kind of like little ducks. And here, we, here they are. Anyway, Lots of expense, as you can imagine. And remember, I don't like to think and talk about money. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do we pay for three college educations? One semester at a time. One wedding at a time. So many moments from 2010 to 2021 where as I was writing my tithe tech that I thought, boy, this would go to paying off some of those debts. Those student, those not student loans, but semester 
tuition debts or, or wedding debt or so many times I was tempted to not write the check because we, we don't look at the checks here. I mean, I, I realize I work for the church, but we, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not known. What we give is anonymous. And so, so many times that I thought, Lord, I could just, I could pay that off or this would be. But I am wholeheartedly convinced that doing the right thing was sacrificially giving to the church, even while I could see these colleges, weddings lining up. Now, I'll tell you that over the course of that 11 or 12 years, I've seen the Lord do amazing things. God actually incredibly does more with the 90% that I have to use than I would have done with my 100% if I had been stingy and held back. But I want to tell you that, that, that it's not simply just about God doing more. It's also about what he does to our hearts as we learn to give sacrificially unto him. First of all, and I believe this is what the Lord says through this, this parable, is that to remember that, that the, the, what it says about the woman is that she gave all of herself. Christ will give all of himself very shortly, even as that story is unfolding, as he goes to Jerusalem to ultimately be arrested, tortured, killed on the cross. That's exactly what the Hebrews passage is telling us this morning, that, that Christ gave all of himself as a sacrifice for our sin that he might Bring us to eternal life. As we learn to be sacrificial with our money, we get a glimpse of the one who gave all of himself to us. Secondly, what it does to us as we sacrifice unto him, how he begins to change our lives, how he begins to Teach us to trust him and not in our own ability to make and maintain our wealth. Which is why Jesus talks so much about money. It really does, more than just about anything else, get to the heart of do we trust God? Do we trust him? Or do we trust in our 401? And then lastly, how the Lord multiplies what we give. I love the, the parable of the seeds that's in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and how that, that, that seed that falls on the good ground and it has a crop that's 60 or 100 times the fold. To see the work of ministry in this place. Is, is to be encouraged over and over again. And I know you're thinking, well, you're giving, but you're giving to your own salary. Folks, I left the insurance industry in 1997. I was making equivalent of what I'm making now in 1997. Just to give you an understanding of, of the fact, I want you to have a great understanding of this. It's like, 
believe me, I, I could make far more money doing other things. But to see the work of, and I don't say that braxom. I want you to understand because I know that can be a hang-up. Because, you know, preachers get paid. I hope you know that. At least some of them do. James doesn't. James makes his own living. <laughs> but but I want you to understand that the work that's multiplied through our gifts we have such a unique situation. We, we live in a university community. And, and, and yes, I know they're transient, but, but we get to see these young adults, and a few of them are in the room, and, and we get to pour into them, and then we get to send them out into the world. And we get to see them be salt and light and world changers. And sometimes they come back and tell us the things they're doing, and sometimes we just get to hear about it or read about it. But we're a part of the growing kingdom of God in the world. And we get to invest in places like Kenya. And we get to invest in people like the McHughes. And we get to, we get to see the work in our own city through Gainesville Community Ministries and through the Christian Study Center and on and on and on. And Young Life of Gainesville. And I just want to tell you that this is a good investment. And the Lord takes what we offer to him and he multiplies it. Which is why we practice in our church the very same thing that the scripture commends to us, the tithe. We give 10% of all that's given to servants, we give away. Not to our diocese, that's another 5%. We give it to, to global and to local ministry outreaches. Because we want to demonstrate in our corporate life what we believe in our individual lives. Is that we cannot possibly outgive God. And that in learning to give... We truly learn a little bit about the glimpse into the sacrifice that God has made for us. If you haven't figured out or not, this is my stewardship sermon, okay? You got a letter telling you this was coming. So. But you know I hate money, and I, I do understand that it is deeply, deeply personal what we do with our finances. Which is why I don't talk about it a lot. But I want you to understand how essential it is to consider our finances when it comes to following Jesus. And Jesus makes that very clear. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the, Lord, just the graciousness of your people and the opportunity, Lord, to to really challenge, be challenged by the hard scriptures, Lord. And we ask, Father, that you will continue to work for those who might feel overwhelmed, for whom this is a trigger even to talk about the subject. Lord, we, we pray for grace in those people's lives, Father, and that, that we will begin to make small steps of obedience. And Father, for those who are generous and extravagant and sacrificial givers, Lord, we just pray that they'd be encouraged uh, because someone's speaking about what they know to be true that you truly do meet us in our giving. Father, I just ask that you continue to multiply the work of ministry in our midst. And we will give you all the honor and the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.